You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 143 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. The wound is the place where the light enters you. I think this was the verse of Rumi that sold me. And ever since then... I've always felt Rumi to be the greatest poet of all time. His writings are so full of wisdom and love and beauty and wonder. And they transcend time, culture and language. The wound is the place where the light enters you. This quote also in words perfectly explains, at least to me, what a deep healing ayahuasca ceremony can be like, where the spiritual wound is the gateway where the divine light enters and takes over every part of your being. So who is Rumi, you might ask? Rumi was a poet and a Sufi mystic that lived in 13th century Persia, modern-day Iran. His full name was Jalaladin Muhammad Rumi. And still to this day, his poetry outsells most other poets. But we cannot measure his importance in sales. Rather, it is what he is actually saying that is important. And Rumi was a Sufi. But what is Sufism? In short, it is the mystical aspects of Islam. Kind of like the Kabbalah is the mystical aspects of Judaism. But really Sufism is not separate from Islam. Rather it is the spiritual dimension of Islam. And the goal of Sufism is to purify the self in order to reach a higher state of being. Sound familiar? Sounds like the mission statement of uh, this podcast I think. And also the mission statement of uh, many kinds of uh, spiritual practices. The goal to uh, purify the self in order to reach a higher state of being. Now Sufism or a Sufi, a Sufi is really a term invented by those that are not the thing that is being described. See Sufism is a way to purify yourself, especially from the illusion of ego. And when this is achieved, when you are the most pure, then you are a Sufi. Such an individual would never claim to be a Sufi, because by claiming to be something, they destroy the thing they have just become, which is pure from ego. So it's a bit ironic when you look at it from this perspective. But it mirrors my own ideas about being enlightened or reaching nirvana. If someone ever claims to have reached uh, such a state, they are automatically, in my book anyway, slipping out of those states because by making such claims, they reset themselves back to a state of mind that requires such titles as enlightened or a Sufi. Anyway, 
the aim of Sufism is the same in a sense as the aim of most religions or spiritual practices, like I said earlier. And this goes with my thinking that all religions are basically the same. And sure, we can look at Catholicism and say it is evil because of what it has done in the past. And we can look at Islam and we can say the same thing. But any religion has two aspects. One is the human politics that creates and spreads and dominates the religion. The other is the origin, the core heart and spiritual wisdom unbound by any single human's political agenda or power struggle. This part is what interests me about any religion. And I dislike fundamentalism. But I refuse to be a fundamentalist and cast all religions into the fire. Instead I take what is good and discard the rest. Islam is a beautiful religion regardless. And the most beautiful aspect of Islam is Sufism. And in particular, Rumi. When Rumi speaks of God, he means Allah. But Allah is not the God of Islam. It is the same God that Jesus speaks of. The same God that the indigenous in the Amazon rainforest speak of. The difference is only language culture and perception, in my opinion, of course. We can have an episode dedicated to the question, is there a God or isn't there a God? But um, this is not that kind of episode, so I will ignore that debate and for the sake of argument assume that there is indeed some sort of God, divine mystery, eternal energy, whatever, And there is such a thing. (laughs) And I have seen this divine mystery. And although I dislike to call it Allah or God. Because those words carry so much baggage. baggage, uh, I will have to use such words in this episode. Because Rumi speaks a lot about God and about Allah. And if you've ever done psychedelics... And if you have ever spent time in a real mosque in the Middle East, you will know, as I do, that the two are very linked. In fact, I think I have seen Islamic art more than any other kind of art in my psychedelic experiences. Which makes me wonder what really was the true source of what created Islam in the first place. I have had many situations in psychedelic experiences where I have seen amazing, beautiful very Islamic looking mandalas appear in front of my eyes and you know more than once have I silently silently to myself had the urge to just go Allah Anyway, according to history, the Prophet Muhammad went into the ideal setting for doing some magic mushrooms or smoking a pipe of DMT, which was a dark cave. And it was there an angel appeared to him. Very convenient. Regardless, Islam is a beautiful religion. The art, the mosques, the sounds, and Middle Eastern culture have always been attractive to me. 
I love the food, the architecture, the art, the music, and the shisha. I don't want to go too far off topic, but I have a personal direct experience with the Muslim and Islamic world, and it does not fit the evil Muslim propaganda that is shoved down our throats through the media and in society. Don't fall for these lies. Yes, there are some Islamic societies that that, uh, degrade women and have little respect for homosexuals and punish those that complain about the government. And I'm sure we in the West, where I'm sitting, don't have and have never had such problems in our morally high and perfectly equal and sane Western society. Basically, the Islamic society isn't worse than a non-Islamic society. In a way, we are worse because we allow our own governments to do things that we ourselves would never do or want done to ourselves. What would you do if your whole family got killed just so some foreign country could get hold of some local natural resource? And the reason your children, your husband or wife got blown to bits was because they happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It takes a big soul and a strong spirit warrior to resist the urge to enact revenge. Most terrorism is sponsored by the United States government and its buddies. But the terrorism that is not sponsored by them is usually what happens when you fuck with people. So you have cause and effect. Okay, well I've rambled on off-topic matters enough, I think. Let's get back to Rumi and Sufism. And remember, everything I say is only my opinion and perspective. If you want to interpret anything differently, feel free to do so. Another favorite verse of Rumi that I have is this. Even if you lose yourself in wrath for a hundred thousand years, at the end you will discover, it is me who is the culmination of your dreams. The reason I love this verse is uh, due to personal circumstances. For many years, since I was a teenager, I suffered from anger and hate and the urge to act on revenge. I was a terrorist in the making, you could say. Ayahuasca cured me from this. I learned to let go of hate, of revenge. Without going into details, I can basically say that it changed me completely. I basically met what some call God, this divine, eternal, all-empowering, loving energy full of grace and knowing. And in that earth-shattering vision, I experienced firsthand just what Rumi is talking about. If you want to live a life of hate and rage, you can. If you want to resist love and compassion, you can. It doesn't matter. Because even if it takes thousands of years, thousands of reincarnations, in the end you will return to this divine eternal energy. In the end you will bow to the light. I just love it. It doesn't tell me... That if I don't stop hating, I'm going to suffer in the afterlife. Which is normally how you hear such ideas preached in mainstream religions. Instead, Rumi says, lose yourself in wrath for a hundred thousand years. Because in the end you will discover that you will lose. Because you will become one with the light regardless. You cannot win 
you cannot resist. It brings to mind that thing that uh, Bill Hicks says, the comedian Bill Hicks, when he's talking about... The devil. That, that still exists, that concept? Real, does it really exist still, the devil? A devil really exists? Does it really, y'all? Well, tell me something. What could oppose God's will? <laughs> Nothing, could it? <laughs> a delightful little realization. Nothing could oppose God's will. So embrace the light, now. Why wait? Rumi writes a lot about love. Let's listen to poet and renowned Rumi interpreter Coleman Barks talk about Rumi and love. He's writing love poems. But they're, they're, there's a new kind of love, I think. New kind of, it, it, it's, it's new and it's, it's fresh even eight centuries later. I, I don't know that we understand it. Uh, he says, fall in love in such a way that it frees you from any connecting. That it frees you from any connecting. This is not about relationship. Fall in love in such a way that it frees you from any connecting. This is not country music. <clears throat> this is not, you know, he left me, she left me, she came back, she left me again. Yeah, uh, that, that synapse of, uh, of ache uh, that you find in the garden balcony scene of uh, Romeo and Juliet, the, the, the whole Western love story of uh, Tristan and his old sleeping of the sword between them, of the it's uh, the separation and the and the uh, power of this of of the connection uh, is is the is the love story. Whereas with Rumi, the love he's talking about is a kind of friendship, but it's a it's a weather that you walk inside, and he says it it may be uh, what it, it widens out to become uh, a, a, a region that you live in. And he says it, it, it includes what anybody says. Amazing. I love that. Fall in love in such a way that it frees you from any connecting. There is a poem of Rumi that covers this in a sense. It's called The Song of the Reed, and I've already talked a bit about this poem back in episode 117 if you want to check that out but I'm going to play my reading of this poem again and this is also from a version by Coleman Barks listen to the story told by the reed of being separated since I was cut from the reed bed I have made this crying sound anyone apart from someone he loves understands what I say. Anyone pulled from a source longs to go back. Stay where you are inside such a pure, hollow note. Every thirst gets satisfied except that of these fish, the mystics, who swim a vast ocean of grace, still somehow longing for it. I'm fascinated with this sense of longing and yearning. 
because we are all essentially alone. Being born, dying, we do that all on our own. When we fall over the threshold into this life or out of this life, we do it by, by ourselves. No one is holding our hand. They might be holding our hand at the moment of death, but as soon as you die, whatever happens after that moment, you're on your own. Anyone pulled from a source longs to go back. It is funny to me, this enlightenment chasing that goes on, this act of trying to achieve some higher state of being, to become some sort of messiah. We are, we are already messiahs. In my opinion, we come from this all-knowing, enlightened state, and we will return to this state when we die. Even if you hate and have anger for 100,000 years, it doesn't matter. You will return. But in the meantime, we are here in this world. And the goal is not to become its master or become some sort of divine Jesus figure. I think that is missing the point of being alive in this physical world. All we should do is experience and love. And if possible, merge the two so the experience is love. That is all we need. Just like the Beatles clearly sang, All you need is love, love, love. It's not silly. It's not cheesy. It's not pretentious. It's the truth. And if you can't handle that, well, some people just can't handle the truth. And truth is relative and in constant flux. But for me... And based on what I've experienced, this is the only truth, true truth there is. All you need is love. And not only love for someone you love. I'm talking about the kind of love that is beyond the physical. A deep eternal grace, an inner light. This love is as powerful as an atomic bomb. Let's listen now to Rumi's Ode 314. Which interestingly could be owed 3.14, which is pi, whatever that implies. This recording is read by Kaivan Silvan, courtesy of LibriVox. Those who don't feel this love pulling them like a river, those who don't drink dawn like a cup of spring water, or take in sunset like supper those who don't want to change let them sleep this love is beyond the study of theology that old trickery and hypocrisy if you want to improve your mind that way sleep on i've given up on my brain i've torn the cloth to shreds and thrown it away If you are not completely naked, wrap your beautiful robe of words around you and sleep. (laughs) 
Let's go a bit deeper now into Sufism itself. So what is the Sufi message? Well, I think most Sufis would agree that its core message is to remember God and serve others. There is this little story of a Sufi that I came across which explains what they mean about remembering God. Every day a disciple came to his teacher for a period of 20 years. And each time the teacher would ask for the disciple's name. After two decades of this, the disciple one day confronted his teacher, accusing him of making fun of him. My boy, replied the master, I'm not making fun of you. It is just that only God's name ever comes to me, sweeping all other names from my heart. Thus, as soon as I hear your name each day, I forget it. The other part of the Sufi message is about serving others. Prayer and devotion does not show devotion to God. Only by serving others do you serve God. This goes well with my theory that perhaps all beings alive are part of the same soul, which fits the concept of many indigenous cultures about what you do to others or to a tree or to an animal you are doing to yourself. So it's not that you hurt someone and karma will fuck you up a week later. Rather, if you hurt someone, one day you will be that person and you will be on the receiving end. A true Sufi is a lover of God and like any other lover, he proves his love by constant remembrance of his beloved, of God, of Allah. And this love creates two effects, one inward and one outward. This outward effect has to do with serving others. And in order to serve others, well, you have to serve yourself as well. If you don't feel at peace, how can you give peace? I want to read an essay called Love by Dr. Javad Nurbaksh. All human beings during their lives experience love and friendship to some extent. Human love can be classified into three basic categories according to its intensity quality, and limitations. The first form of love is friendship based on social conventions, where two people behave in accordance with the principle I for myself, you for yourself, we love each other, but we have no expectations of each other. Now, this form of love is that of ordinary people whose love relationships tend to be of this nature. The second form of love is based on a more solid foundation and those who live together usually experience this kind of love. I for you, you for me, we love each other, having mutual expectations of each other. This form of love includes profound love as well as the love found within most families involving emotional give and take on a more or less equal footing. The third kind of love transcends all conventions based on mutual expectations, being founded on the following principle. I am for you. You are for whoever you choose. I accept whatever you want without any expectations whatsoever. The Sufi's devotion to God and to the master of the path exemplifies this latter form of love. This kind of love is not based upon any constraints or conditions. The Sufi who possesses this kind of love says with contentment and submission to God, I am satisfied with whatever you want, without any expectations, and love you 
without any thought of reward. Only a few Sufis have managed to annihilate themselves in the beloved through the path of such love and friendship. It is about these Sufis that Rumi has said, Everything is the beloved, and the lover but a veil. The beloved is alive, while the lover is dead. I can't really give Sufism or Rumi justice with a podcast episode. This is just a tease in a sense. A few tidbits of information that I want to highlight. If you find any of what I've said or quoted interesting, it is then up to you to do further research. But as far as a spiritual practice or religion, Sufism is way up there in the top three, at least in my opinion. And if you dislike spiritualism and religion, but at least have some love for wisdom and poetry, you can never go wrong with Rumi. Let me close this whole subject matter with a final little quote by Rumi from a poem called Come to the Orchard in Spring. Come to the orchard in spring. There is light and wine and sweethearts in the pomegranate flowers. If you do not come, these do not matter. If you do come, these do not matter. I think that is enough rambling on my part. If you want to learn more about Sufism, I'm sure you can Google your way to some interesting websites. To close this episode, we are going to listen to Saman Vaya Kirtan's track O Ambema from the self-titled album Saman Vaya Kirtan. Go to samanvayakirtan.com or samanvayakirtan.bandcamp.com if you want to hear more of their music. And it's spelled uh, S-A-N. M-A-N-V-A-Y-A-K-I-R-T-A-N An easier way is you can find these links in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com As always, don't forget to like the podcast on Facebook and follow the Twitter account, which is at bornalchemist. I also post some essays on naturalbornalchemist.com under the tab writings, so check that out. I consider myself a far greater writer than speaker, And in a sense, I am in the wrong medium here. But I do my best. I hope you tune in next Sunday. Freedom is in the mind.
Jesus.